Welcome to the Technology and Jobs podcast from the Asian Development Bank. I'm Eric Churchill. In this series, we're looking at how the workplace is being transformed by technology and what that means for the workers of today, as well as those who are going to be doing the jobs of the future. As many of the wildest ideas about technology become reality and extend deeper into our lives and workplaces, our anxieties seem to be accelerating together with the technology itself. Asia is at the forefront of adopting these new technologies, in particular in the more developed countries in the region, with China leading the way. From 2013 to 2016, the number of robots China purchased increased by over 100%, accounting for 30% of global sales. We're seeing that industries like car manufacturing and electronics are almost entirely dependent on machines to get the job done. In addition, automation is beginning to make inroads into other sectors and countries which have traditionally depended upon intensive labor resources, such as the textile industry in Bangladesh, and even so-called white-collar jobs like doctors and office workers. Today, we're going to look at how widespread the effects of technology in the workplace really are, and which industries will benefit most from labor-saving technology, and where this will have the biggest impact in Asia. Which type of workers will benefit, and which will miss out? I'm joined by Elisabetta Gentile and Samir Katiwada from ADB's research department to help answer these questions. How concerned should we be? Are robots going to take our jobs? I would say yes and bring it on. Uh, it's, you know, over history, the data that we have shows that every time there has been a major technological innovation, it has allowed us uh, to work less, to have a better work-life balance, and to also uh, focus on more interesting tasks in our everyday life. So I would say uh, robots and automation machines in general have been able to take away perhaps what are the most repetitive, the most also dangerous, I would say, tasks uh, associated with our jobs to allow us to focus on the more interactive parts of our job. Samir, you look doubtful. Sitting in Asia, I would say that I'm not yet worried about robots coming to take our jobs. If you look back in history, technological unemployment, where basically technology making people unemployed. So this is one of our luminaries in, in the discipline warned us about this. John Maynard Keynes said, you know what, in the 70 years down the road, people will be working 15 hours a week because a lot of the things we do will be done by machines. Look at us now. We're working 40 hours a week, maybe even more. Nothing really has changed. So in that sense, it hasn't really transformed our lives as we thought Maybe you would. Elisabetta. Uh, well, there is one element that I would like, maybe a little bit of a provocation here. Uh, we have been used for many decades to think that the only path to development is through manufacturing. That a country to make, to successfully move up and become uh, middle income or high income, it has to go from a, 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 an agrarian, agriculture-oriented society to, to manufacturing. But are we really sure about that? Are we sure that a country like Nepal cannot find a way to develop through services, for example? And uh, this is really a provocation that I wanted to put out there because it, it's, it is undeniable that the most automation is in manufacturing right now. So I am a bit concerned that we are sending this message to developing economies that the only possible path to development that they have is by making stuff. Uh, 
might not necessarily be the case. Samir, I see that you wanted to make a comment. No, just, just to support on that, actually, you know, in the, uh, in the, um, business process outsourcing is an example as well in the Philippines. So, and similarly in India, the same same thing with outsourcing jobs, right? Uh, I mean, I, I like the fact that Elizabeth raised this point that traditionally, when we think of development, you go from agriculture manufacturing to services and sort of like you know the model was that like, you take people out of agriculture into manufacturing maybe that not, that might not be available to a lot of our countries right fair point you know the thing is to make the transition out of low pay agriculture into services it goes back to what you were saying earlier is that we need to prepare the workforce for it right take the example of outsourcing uh, industry in the philippines the, the people who enter that uh, that industry, well, they speak English very well. They tend to be at least college graduates. Uh, and the call center is less so than, uh, and, and than in the others. But still, they're relatively better educated. Uh, they speak English. So they're actually competitive in, in the global services market, if you want to call it that, right? But you have to prepare your workforce for that to, 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 to take advantage of the service sector jobs. Okay, so I, I think I understand, but I, w- I wanna shift track a little bit because I, I think one of the things that you've alluded to, both when you're talking about the BPO industry in the Philippines or in manufacturing is this, the way in which we work together with technology. This isn't all or nothing, right? It's not that a robot replaces my job one for one. It's that I need to know how to work. If I'm, if I'm working in a call center, I need to work with technology. If I'm working in a factory, I need to work with technology. Is that, do I have that right? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, uh, Elizabeth can correct me, but you know, the thing is basically the complementarity between labor and technology is very important. It's actually crucial. Uh, what, what happens going forward in terms of employment, in terms of em- total uh, employee, in terms of uh, wages. So wh- where is this happening, Elizabeth? We are seeing uh, indications of this happening, for example, in the People's Republic of China, uh, where the government has introduced in its education plan uh, the transformation of 600 universities into what we call polytechnics. This is one example. What is very interesting right now is that a lot of entrepreneurs are uh, developing programs that target individuals without formal education, without formal training. And through a process that we call the gamification of learning, they are discovering their skill, these individual skill profiles. Is this person a leader? Is this person a thinker? Is this person a builder? And these are things that can potentially revolutionize the, the labor markets because people who have been traditionally excluded from certain opportunities because they didn't have any formal education or training, they can now actually get an access, get a way in uh, to, to participate in this vocationally oriented training. Shifting tracks here, one of the things that you've alluded to is that there are, that workers are going to have to work alongside technology in different kinds of ways. Elizabeth, you have some examples of that from your research, right? Absolutely. Uh, We have uh, visited a knitting factory in the outskirts of Dhaka, Bangladesh. And uh, what we found there was incredibly uh, uh, eye-opening. Uh, because we tend to have this idea that if a technology is economically viable, 
automatically uh, uh, factory owners will fire everybody. It's been a pleasure to meet you all, but now we've got machines, so, you know, go on now. But that's the, com the reality in, in the field is much more complicated. So this knitting factory that we visited has three different levels of automation. So the first level is pretty much a manual knitting machine where the ratio is one worker to one machine and it takes a lot of physical strength to operate this machine. Needless to say, the workers on these floors are completely male. Then you have a second layer of automation, a second level in this factory, where you have semi-automated machines. On this floor, you already see more female workers. It's a prevalently actually female worker. We have a ratio of one worker to two or three machines. In the same factory, you have a fully automated floor. So. Of course, we were asking the, the owner, what is the rationale of having not two, but three different levels of automation under the same roof? Well, he told us, I am a risk-averse individual. When I receive orders and I need to deliver on those orders, absolutely nothing can go wrong. So by having the computerized machine, he protects himself from striking workers. And by having manually operated knitting machines, he protects himself from power outages or from malfunctioning machines. So this is a, I think this is an incredibly good example of the fact that the reality in the field is much more complicated. And the availability and viability itself of a specific technology doesn't automatically translate in mass layoffs of workers. Elizabeth is arguing that we can, that technology has made so many advancements that it are making work better for us. The quality of our work is better. And I think that's probably true for a lot of people, but I, it seems like there are a lot of people who are still doing pretty tough work. Right, you know, when we, when we talk about technology and how it enhances our productivity, I mean, it's, a, it's one of those uh, classic questions in, in our discipline is that sometimes when you see technology everywhere, but you don't see it in productivity numbers. We don't see uh, technology in, in actual, actual statistics on productivity because there's usually a lag uh, that it shows up in, in how productive we have become. But, 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 okay, I'm going to stop you there because shouldn't we see this in wages? Shouldn't we see this in our, in our quality of life? I mean, okay, maybe, uh, you know, the, the government statistics don't show the productivity, but I should be able to feel it in my paycheck, right? Isn't that your argument? I mean, look, I mean, the thing is, you know, if your question is, has our quality of life improved because of technology? That's a that's a yes. For sure, it has improved. But if you were to ask, has the uh, our life at work uh, improved because of technology? I would say our productivity has gone up because of technology. But whether or not uh, we have a better work life, um, uh, Eric, I would like to really address the very good point that you are making about uh, workers in agriculture, for example, in, 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 in very poor countries. And again, the mistake that we tend to make when we think about technology is that we tend to think of very sophisticated, cutting-edge things. But the reality is that even the most basic technologies can make a world of difference uh, in agriculture. The use of fertilizers. Fertilizers themselves are technology. They embody a lot of research and development. Uh, this can make a huge difference. And let's not forget that right now, 
you have a penetration of phone, mobile phones and smartphones, even in the most remote areas. Uh, and just by getting a text message telling you uh, what is the going price right now for your crop, or that uh, a veterinarian will be passing through the area on this date and this time. These are small, small improvement. They can make a world of difference. Just to add to that, actually, you know, in, in, in Asia, we also see that besides agriculture and low-paid, low-skilled work in informal sector, because the infor informal sector is quite important for this region. If you look at just Southeast Asia, Indonesia, Philippines, here, actually, we're talking about 70 percent of, of, of total employment being in the informal sector, which is not registered. They're outside of your formal employment relationships, right? Even in that sector, actually, technology has played a key role in raising productivity and earnings. You take an example of Gojex from Indonesia. They're actually these drivers who are basically, the, the, this profession emerged because of the traffic problem in, in a big uh, city like Jakarta. Now this, uh, this has evolved into providing services across a range of sort of um, things that people demand, right? So basically what has happened is that the Gojek drivers have been able to not just drive people around, but also provide other kinds of services, raising their earnings. This is because of digital technology, because they have smartphones, they have apps, and they act somehow have managed to raise their earnings because okay. of that. Okay, I want to I shift a little bit because I think one of the stories that you hear a lot when you, when you follow this in the media is you talk about occupations that seemed absolutely unautomatable. You hear about paralegals, accountants, things like that. Should we be afraid for these jobs? I think you, ha you couldn't have found a better example. And it, this tells you uh, the paralegal profession is one of the, uh, the reasons why I am still not completely pessimistic about this. Because sometimes the uh, machine learning algorithm that goes through all the legal documents can miss thing that a, things that a human mind uh, will pick up. For example, a verdict that a judge might have uh, offered in a sector and in a context that is completely different from the current lawsuit that the paralegal is preparing for might be relevant somehow. And th there are still some connections that only a human mind can make. It's true. This algorithm can take a lot of the grunt work out of, 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 of the paralegal profession, and this perhaps can result in somewhat less, uh, less employment. But this will allow more work to be done, more data to be processed, and so this will expand uh, the firm. Uh, Samir, please. No, I, I just kind of wanted to counter that a bit. You know, in my conversations with the BPO executives, one thing that came up that I thought was interesting was that, so BPOs, uh, in terms of back office operations, they do invoicing, right? So one of the executives told me, when you look at the accuracy of a human uh, person doing the invoicing versus the computer uh, doing the invoicing, for about a month of a person being hired, they're about the same. The accuracy level is about the same as completely automated systems. But since it's such a boring job, that after a month, apparently, the, the, the worker loses focus. So apparently, and he tells me, you know what, actually, as it turns out, over the course of a year, it makes sense to switch to a completely automated system because you're, you're, you're more accurate. Right? But you see, Samir, there is a big difference between the paralegal work and the, the, the invoicing work that you're talking about, precisely in, the, in its routine nature. Because invoicing, uh, it's, it's, it's quite the routine cognitive task, right? But the paralegal work has some nuances in terms of how you research uh, a case history and what kind of cases you're interested in. I'm telling you, I'm not denying that this is going to require less 
people, fewer people, but I'm telling you that the human component is still matters. Final question, Samir, do humans have a future? Yes, a resounding yes, because the thing is, at the end of the day, it goes back to what we were saying at the very beginning, the complementarity between labor and technology is our future. That's where we are heading. Whether or not we are prepared for it, it's a different story. But that's where we are heading, right? One, one, um, when we talk about technology, something that we, we haven't mentioned yet is that when you walk into a hospital these days, right? And it, when you walk into a hospital, there's a lot of machines. Everywhere there's a lot of machines. You would think that some, many of those people working there would have been displaced because now the, the diagnostics are all, all automated. It's not happening. Somebody is there to man those machines, to actually know how to use those machines and make sense of it, right? So all I, all I want to say is that not all improvements displace labor, not at all. It actually augments the value of labor that we put in, right? So I, the future for human beings is resounding yes, except we need to prepare for it. And that's something that's important. And paradoxically, I would like to add that machines are going to give us an opportunity to be more human. How many of you have complained at least once in your life that your studies or your career has taken away your creativity, has taken away from you something that you liked to do uh, when you were younger? And, 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 and because of your studies, because of your focus, you have completely lost that. I think machines can give us an amazing opportunity to go back to being what makes us human unique as human being to express our creativity in many ways. Well, that's a really optimistic note to end on. My takeaway from this is that a robot is not going to immediately take my job. And maybe if it does, it'll just take the bad parts. Thank you very much for joining us today. My name is Eric Churchill. In the next episode, we're going to be looking at how technology could affect globalization, which has been the motor behind Asia's extraordinary economic growth. But for now, Thanks to Samir Katiwada and Elisabetta Gentile from the Economic Research Department of ADB. Additional special thanks today to my co-producer, Andrew Perrin, to our senior researcher, Pima Arizala. Our studio technician is Brian Manuel. Richard Myron is our executive producer. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate, like, or comment on your favorite podcast app. More information on the issues discussed today are available online at adb.org. And please join our conversation at hashtag futureofwork.